Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Man, I'm so excited that you are here with us this morning. Hey, before we jump into it, hey, I want to kind of talk with you just for a moment. We want you to talk back to us. Now, we know that we're not here in person, but we are online. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to hit the like button. We want you to make some comments. We want you to use the little heart down there, the hallelujah, praise hands, whatever it is. When God is speaking to you, when when God is stirring in your heart, we want you to communicate that with us. But at the very end of this message, we're going to have a time of an invitation. and, And whatever God is leading you to, whatever direction God is carrying, you, hey, we want to know about it. So here's what we ask. At the very end of this, we'd love for you to send us a message on Facebook Messenger, or maybe make a comment down below on just, hey, this is the way that God is really speaking to me today throughout today's message. Now, here's the thing. We're kicking off a brand new series on questions that God asks. Questions that God asks. Now, here's the thing. If we could talk about it for a moment. Not all questions are created equal. Hey, fellas, have you ever noticed that you're driving down the road and you pose the good old question, hey, where do you want to eat today? And then she says, I don't care. But then you go on to list 10 different restaurants and she says, yeah, no, none of them. Like ladies, you will come and you approach somebody like, hey, do you notice anything different about me? Like one of the questions that drives so much anxiety into my life is when somebody texts or calls and says, hey, Can we talk for a moment? And that moment, I start thinking about everything I might have done, everything that I might have said, and all of a sudden, I'm just like, I I am emotionally just driven, like, what is going on in this moment? So here's the thing when it comes to questions. When we start thinking about the questions that we ask, 90% of those questions are all about finding out some information that you need, but you don't have. And one of the best ways for you to find out that information is on the other side of a question. I read a story this week that really kind of sets the precedent on where we are going. The story read like this. There was a good friend of mine who was walking along the road one day with a lady when she asked him a question. She said, what do you think about cremation? Mr. Smith, if we can call him that, replied without any hesitation, you know the principle of cremation, don't you? No, the lady replied. He went on to say, you bury treasure, but you burn trash. Oh, family, but then he asked the most important question. He asked, why are you asking this? That's when she said, we cremated my mother last year. Terrible, right? But it drives home an important principle here. It is always important for you to find out why the question is being asked. It's always important that you find out why the question is being asked, which really brings us to the heart of this series. When you look through Scripture, the Old Testament into the New Testament, what you find over and over and over again is God would come and ask people, men and women, individuals, different questions. He would come in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and he asked Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, he asked Moses, who made man's mouth? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he says this, who shall I send and who shall go for us? Jonah chapter 4, God comes to Jonah twice on two different occasions, and he asks this question, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry? Jesus asked a guy in the New Testament, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked his own disciples, who do you say that I am? If you come back to the Old Testament, God comes and he asks Job in just two chapters alone, 70 different questions. Look, the list goes on and on and on, but this is where 
This gets a little weird for us because we know that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, listen to what it says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Psalms 147, verse 5 says this, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalms 139, verse 16 says, you, you, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, listen to this. No creature is hidden from his sight. Look, if you think about Bigfoot, you think about the Falcon monster. When you think about Nessie, the Loch Ness monster, the Bible says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. First John chapter 3, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Listen, here it is. And he knows everything. S scripture tells us that God knows all things, and by all things, I mean everything. So help me with this, church. If God sees everything and God knows everything, how confusing is it that he asks all these different questions? You and I come, we ask questions because we don't understand something. So why in the world would God come and ask something if he already knows it? Why would God ask various individuals all throughout Scripture these, these questions? I think there are probably a handful of different reasons that all point to this one thing, that there is something deeper than the question itself. God's questions always have a purpose. Can I say that to you again? When God comes and he puts a question out, God's questions always have a purpose. And you can be sure of it that nine times out of ten, God wants to reveal something to you and through you through these questions. I think probably one of the greatest reasons why God asks questions is simply because from time to time, you and I, we, we're, we're blind to our surroundings, whether that is willingly or unwillingly. But listen to me, you can be blind by your own motives and decisions. Hey, it's full alert, but that's really the purpose of today's message. If you come back and you look in the Garden of Eden, God comes to, to Adam and Eve and, and after they had sinned and he says this question, where are you? Now, now, we know that Adam and Eve are hiding because of their sin. Listen to me. But God knows where they're at. But he comes and he asks them this question, and it is to give Adam and Eve an opportunity to look inward with the hope of bringing them back to himself. I believe the other reason that God asks questions is to reveal something about himself. If we come back and we go towards the end of Job's trials, God comes to Job and unloads 70 different questions. He says things like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Then he says this, declare if you know all this. Job doesn't. Job doesn't have a clue, but it's through these questions that Job sees and recognizes the sovereignty and the power and the vast wisdom and knowledge of God. God comes and he poses questions that moves us to action. This happened a number of different times throughout the Old Testament with the prophets. In a vision, Isaiah heard God come and ask, whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? And it moved Isaiah in such a way that he said, here I am, send me. So watch me, God poses questions, not because he doesn't know, 
but because he wants us, you and I, to know something. When God asks a question in the Bible, it's to help us understand who he is or to help lead us to where he is or to help us un better understand who we are. So this morning, I want to take a moment, and I want to look at the very first question that God asked the very first human beings. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, uh, several years ago when we moved to Camden, we moved into the parsonage. It was by far probably the biggest house that we have ever lived in, and I'll never forget the first several weeks, our boys asked one main question. We would be in the house, and you would hear these words, Dad, where are you? It was so big that if they lost a line of sight, they didn't know where we were so they would come and they would say hey where are you and which I always responded I'm right here which always followed up with the question well where is here watch me when my boys were asking the question where are you it's a matter of geography it's a matter of location listen to me it's a place but when we come to Genesis chapter 3 and God asked this question where are you it has nothing to do with geography Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? I love this passage. Every time I read it, I can't help but laugh. Get the picture here for just a moment. Here is Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from God. Not only that, but they're hiding in the garden that God created. But not only that, they're hiding in the garden that God created, and he ultimately placed them there. And then probably the most absurd thing is they actually believe that they could hide from God. Like, have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with little kids? It's the best, is it not? Like, usually if you say go and they run, they're probably going to run to a curtain. They'll get behind the curtain, and all of a sudden, when you're walking by, you can still see their feet. But they think they're hid. They'll go hide in the closet and they have half their bodies hanging out, but you can still see them. Man, that's what I think about when I read this story. Marley and I were playing with a game of hide-and-go-seek with our boys several years ago. And uh, all three boys, it was our turn to hide. Well, we all like to hide together. Now, Marley, because she can't stand to lose, she always has to find a way to cheat her way into the wind. So here's what's happened. Me, Jensen, and Tucker were all hid. Probably one of the best spots in the whole house. This girl comes walking through the house. You hear her giggle, and then she does this. Marco, I kid you not, these two boys right here, they both said, Polo, they gave ourselves away. So when I read this story, that's what I picture in my mind. Here is Adam and Eve, and they're both hiding from God. And God is walking through the garden. He's saying, hey, where are you? Don't miss this. When God is asking the question, it's not because God lost them. It's not because God can't find them. This isn't a question about geography. This is a question about a relationship. It's not that he didn't know where they were. It's that he knows that they are no longer with him. There's this separation between them and God. There's this separation in the relationship between God and his creation. Have you ever watched a movie before and you turned it on in like the first 30 seconds? Like it is the highlight of it. Like there's guns blazing. Like it's, it's the pinnacle scene. And then all of a sudden they stop and they're like, but let's start back at the beginning. And the beginning's a car going down an old dusty road. Well, that's essentially what we have done here. I want to give you the backstory for just a moment. God comes and he places Adam in the garden. After a while, Adam begins to realize that 
ain't nobody looking like me, acting like me, or talking like me. So God comes and he creates Eve. And Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The Bible tells us that both of them were naked and they knew no shame. That's the end of chapter 2, but then we turn the page to Genesis chapter 3. And the Bible tells us that there is a serpent in the garden. Now watch me. Here's why we know that Eve's not from the south. Because here's what we know in our south, uh, uh, south area where we live in. It felt as if, if your wife was outside and you happened to be inside, then all of a sudden you hear a scream and then a snake. What's your response? You better do one or two things to, to preserve your relationship with your significant other. You get the gun or you go get the shovel and you go outside because that snake has to die. Ladies, could you just imagine for a moment, you're in the garden that day with the Lord there and then all of a sudden you look out the corner of your eye and there's a serpent slivering through. You know what all of you are going to say? You're going to approach the Lord and say, hey, look, I'm not going back in there until you take care of this matter. The Bible tells us that this serpent starts talking, having a conversation with Eve. Now look, let me just encourage you for a moment to pay, pay, pay close attention to how this serpent leads this first family away from the things of God and the heart of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says this, tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, here it is, Did God really say? Man, if you don't have that underlined in your Bibles, let me encourage you to underline it. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Listen to me, everything in your life that is dysfunctional, everything in your life that is broken is the result of the wrong answer to this question, did God really say? The key to you winning the battle for your thoughts, the key to you winning the battle for your joy, the key to you winning the battle for your peace, the key to you winning the battle for all the things that God has called you to enjoy and the purpose of your life begins by you and I trying to understand the devil's strategy. When you begin to understand how the enemy tries to lead you and me away from the things of God, oh, family, then and only then can we begin to have victory after victory in our lives. Look, I want to give credit where credit is due. The devil, oh, this boy is crafty. Notice he doesn't walk up to Eve and say, man, look at this place. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Like you have everything given to you. Got an ideal. Won't you just throw it all away and ruin it for the rest of humanity? He doesn't do that. Nobody in their right mind, if they knew the consequences of their actions, would ever think of doing such a thing. Notice the devil didn't throw out a temptation. Instead, he posed a question that created a doubt that led to the temptation. Boy, the devil loves to hang a question mark over God's promises. You ever been here before? Man, you start feeling this, hey, if God is really that good, man, look at your life. Come on now, why is all this bad stuff happening to you? Is God really that good? And then all of a sudden, all these doubts almost always lead us to make bad choices and bad decisions that always lead us in the wrong direction. Man, look, this tactic works, and the devil knows it. That's why the devil wants to plant these seeds of doubt in your life. So God comes, and listen to me, he makes a promise for your life, and he makes promises over my life, and the devil knows these promises all too well. So all he can do is try to put a question mark over God's promises so you begin to doubt. Listen to me. If he can get you to doubt God, he can get you to disobey God. And if he can get you to disobey God, he can lead you away from a life with God. And he can do exactly what he planned to do. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy the purpose of God in your life. 
and he does it by simply putting a question mark. Hey, your disobedience, our disobedience to God dislocates us from the presence of God. And that's what we see happening here in Scripture. Their disobedience causes them to be separated from God. But can I tell you the best part of this entire story? God doesn't give up on them. God doesn't quit on them. He doesn't come and say, look, I'm tired of you. I can't believe it. You've blown it. I'm done with you people. No, 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 no. That's not what God does. God does something far better than that. God does what God does best, and he pursues them. The same way he pursues them is the same way he pursues you. God comes back and he asks the question. He says, where are you? Verse 10 says, and he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11 has to be my favorite question that God asked. He asked this, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you see it? You missed it. The Bible says, who? Who told you that? Family, can I preach to you for just a moment? Because there are a lot of people today, I think you have some who's in your life. There are some people in your life. There are some strangers in your life. There is some media in your life. There is the Facebook, the Instagram, everything else. I believe there's even some Satan in your life. For some of you, it's your own mindset and thought process that is speaking lies into your life. And you are believing them hook, line, and sinker in spite of what God has said. So I need to ask you this morning, who told you that come on talk to me this morning who told you that who told you that you'll never be able to break this addiction in your life because it's been passed down from generation to generation who told you that lie because the bible tells us in first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Who told you that the way you look makes you beautiful or not? Who told you that lie? I'm sure the Bible tells us in Proverbs 31 verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Who told you that you're not going to make it throughout this storm, throughout this trial? First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible tells us, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, listen to this, he himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Who told you you couldn't recover from this mistake? Michael cha- Ma- Micah chapter 7, verse 8 says, Though I have fallen, I will rise again. Who told you that you had to be depressed for the rest of your life? John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you. But I came, Jesus came, that he may have life and have it abundantly. Who told you that you were never going to make it in this life? Philippians 4, 19 says, For my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Who told you that you don't have a purpose in this life? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. Who told you that you'll never amount to anything? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Let me ask you, who is telling you all these lies? Who is putting all this nonsense out there? If if it's the devil, then I want to remind you what the Bible says about the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar, the father of lies. It's interesting, isn't it? That in Genesis chapter 3, you have two completely different questions. One of the questions leads us away from the things of God. But the other question is meant to bring you back to the heart of God. So here it is, back to our text. The serpent asked the question, did God really say? 
Eve responds with, we can eat from every tree, but if we eat from that one, we'll die. The serpent responded, no, that's not really true. It just means that you're going to become like him. What's he doing right now? He's creating this doubt about what God has said. You know, the story, Eve comes and, and she doubts God. So because of that, she eats the fruit, and then she comes and she gives him, Adam, some of it, and he eats it, and for the first time, they're experiencing shame, guilt, humiliation, condemnation, and they are afraid for the very first time. You ever felt that before? You ever felt these feelings because you made a mistake, you've done the wrong thing? Hey, listen, if you have, then you know what they did then is what we do today. We want to run and hide. The Bible tells us that they heard God coming and they hid. And that God asked this question, come on now, where are you? God isn't asking this question for their geographical location. When God asks, where are you? He is wanting them to recognize that the relationship with him is broken. It's not what it used to be. It's not about geography. It's not about a place. It's always about a relationship. Listen to me today. Our faith is not about a place. Our faith is about a presence. Our faith is about a person. Look, I think that one of the things I've realized in this season of uncertainty, and it's the one thing that I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred different times. I hear people over and over and over again talking about heaven. That man, I can't wait to get to heaven. I want you to hear your pastor here for a moment. Man, I can't wait to get to heaven. But most of those conversations are all about getting away from this place and the uncertainty and the craziness and just getting to that place. It's just geography. It's not a relationship. But our faith is not about our place. Our faith is about our presence. Our faith is about a person. Hey, I want you to know that, that people, hey, they don't want to go to hell, which is a place, because it's hot. But I don't want you to miss this. Hell's a bad place, not because it's hot. Hell's a bad place because it's empty of the presence of God. You can go back and read the story in Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about them a few weeks ago, about how they walked through the fire. But the Bible tells us that there was somebody else with them. Look, our faith is not about a place. Our faith is about a presence. Our faith is about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Do you remember back in school? I don't know if you had it, but we always seem to have one in every class that there was always somebody, there was always that one kid that would ask a hundred different questions. And if you were lucky, one of the questions that you needed to be answered, he was going to follow up on it. He would be able to ask it. Did you know that Jesus had one of those? One of his disciples was the exact same way. His name was Thomas. Now, we refer to him a lot as Doubting Thomas. And in John chapter 14, we have this amazing encounter. All the disciples, they, they have this question, but no one is really ready to jump out there and ask except for a boy thomas listen what the bible says in john chapter 14 verse 1 let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would i have told you that i go and prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself where i am you may be also verse 4 and you know the and you know the way to where i'm going here it comes thomas said to him lord we don't know where you're going how can we know the way and jesus said to him watch this he said i am the way i am the truth and i am the life no one 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I need to ask the question here this morning, the same question that God proposed in Genesis chapter 3, I want to ask you that same question. Where are you? Well, Billy, I'm at the house. That's not the question that I'm asking. That's geography. The question I'm, at, question I'm asking is about your relationship. Where are you? Where are you when it comes to your relationship with him? I believe the question that God asked then to bring them back to him is the same question that God is asking you today to bring you back to him. I think maybe, just maybe, the Lord is wanting you to realize that there is a gap between you and him, and it's because of your own decisions, it's because of your own choices, it's because of your own sin and your own disobedience, and that sin has separated you from a holy God. But know this, the same way that he called for Adam, where are you? I believe is the same way he's calling out to you today. So here it is, there is a fill in the blank on the screen, and I need to ask you, insert your name, where are you? If you answer that and you say, man, I'm just, I'm a long way from him. I'm not close like it used to be. I just, I, I feel like I've lost him. If that's you, I want you to know this, that I believe this morning God is pursuing you. He's the one looking for you. He's the one calling out to you. And it's not to berate you. It's not to come and condemn you. It's not to come and show you how much you messed up, how far you've fallen. God is coming to you this morning to bring you back to himself. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Man, I can't help but believe that there might be some people for the first time that you are frightened for a moment because you are starting to realize that you are not where you thought you were when you really wrestle with this first question. So where are you? Church family, this is the morning that I believe that God is wanting, wanting all of us to respond to him in some way. I want you to know what we just did last weekend, Easter weekend. Jesus' death on the cross pays for your sins and for mine. And Jesus' resurrection gives, gives you and I hope and a life that matters. But I don't want you to leave this morning. I don't want you to leave your house. I don't want you to leave our online worship this morning without wrestling with this question. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen to me. If you feel his voice, if you hear his voice, if you feel him moving, I want you to be obedient and responsible to him in the right way. Can I get you to pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you today, and God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you so much for this first question on where are you? And God, I pray that every man, I pray that every woman here today, Father, I pray that they would wrestle with that question. I pray that they would be open and honest. And if there are some people here today, and they are far from you, God, I pray that they would acknowledge that and they would take the next steps that they need to be through repentance and confession and making sure that you are a priority in their life. But Father, I can't help but believe that there might be somebody here today and they don't have a personal relationship with you. They never have. They've banked on, on church membership. They have thought they were a good person, but they're realizing today that they need you. God, I pray that they would, they would take the right steps today on, on admitting, believing, and confessing. So God, we just pray right now during this time of invitation, how you are stirring, how you are moving. God, I pray that we'd be open and honest and obedient here today. Father, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.